0: with a bull from the herd for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and shall have the linen undergarment on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist, and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water, and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself, and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil And put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with it's blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place, because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel, and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place, until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord, and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat, and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel." And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat, and Aaron shall lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself To a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now I invite you to turn with me to our gospel reading, John chapter 10. We'll be reading from that uh, well-known text, verses 7 through 18. That is John chapter 10, verses 7 through 18. our epistle reading from the book of the Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, But he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 874, page 874. We'll read responsibly Uh, this Lord's Day lesson, Lord's Day 5. This one, every time I go through the Heidelberg Catechism, I kind of feel like this is really a transitional Lord's Day. I could make an argument that it belongs in the previous section on guilt. It's placed here in the section on grace. Again, it's transitional. And then next week, we really get to more of the fullness of what this Lord's Day is talking about. We're focusing here on that theme of justice and that justice must be satisfied. And so I ask you, question 12, according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both now and in eternity. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? God requires that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of this justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves or by another. Question 13, can we make this payment ourselves? Certainly not. Actually, we increase our debt every day. Question 14. Can another creature, any at all, pay this debt for us? No. To begin with, God will not punish any other creature for what a human is guilty of. Furthermore, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. Question 15. What kind of mediator and deliverer should we look for then? One who is a true and righteous man, yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is also true God. And may the Lord now bless this time of reflection and instruction to his glory and to our good. Amen. Well, as we gather, as I mentioned, this is really a transitional Lord's Day. As you note, at the end, it kind of puts out there a hypothetical question. What kind of mediator and redeemer should we look for then? It doesn't really get to that whole point of explicitly declaring Jesus Christ, but it really tees it up for us, in order that on the next Lord's Day, it can be whacked right off that T. And so today, we really focus upon the significance of God's justice and of having one who could come to meet those requirements. Recall that justice, that is righteousness, is inherent to the very being of God. He is justice and righteousness. God is his attributes. And so as we begin to think then about justice revealed to us, We're thinking about God coming down and condescending and revealing um, in an, an analogical way something of His justice and righteousness. We see that especially in His moral law, both the commandments, like the Ten Commandments or two great commandments, but also with those threats of curse and punishment for disobedience. The law in that fullness helps reveal to us The justice of God. That justice that is inherent to His being. The reason it's important and essential to mention that is that when we then begin to think about God's justice towards sinners, we recognize that God cannot simply turn a blind eye. He cannot just overlook injustice that is performed By his creatures. For after all, as God speaks in his law, in Exodus 23, verse 7, he is warning the Jews that in their courts, they must not allow the guilty to go free. And he commands that they should not do that. Why? Because he will not acquit the wicked. The Lord is just. He will not turn a blind eye. Or we could turn to Proverbs 17, verse 15, where we hear these words, speaking about humans, but it tells us something about God. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination. To the Lord. And so we see here that justice must be upheld. It is inherent to the being of God, it is required within the court of creation. Justice must be satisfied. And that presents the great dilemma. How can we get off? How can you and I who have committed injustice, violating the law in all sorts of ways, then become acquitted when God will not acquit the wicked? Well, somehow, a mediator must step in. Somehow, justice must be absorbed on our behalf. The Catechism moves on to speak about the inability of animals. This is part of the reason why we read from Leviticus 16. That shadowy system of cleansing and defilement was never the thing itself. Christ Jesus was casting a shadow into the Old Testament. Casting a shadow from the cross. And part of that shadow was the sacrificial system. Along with the food laws I mentioned in the previous sermon. Cleansing and defilements had to come. And those animals were part of the shadow cast to help prepare us for the only one who can truly take away sins by his death. Animals could never do it. That would be unjust of God. An animal did not sin. How can an animal absorb our sin and punishment? It cannot according to the standards of justice. Animals are unable... Rather, justice requires a true humanity. And to this effect, we read Hebrews chapter 2. That good news is that Christ came for us. The eternal Son took to himself flesh and blood to then bear the penalty that's due to flesh and blood. Justice was against you because of your sin. Christ took on humanity. Your sin credited to Christ. He bore your sin and your penalty that justice might be satisfied. There's that helpful phrase from the church fathers. That which he did not assume, he could not redeem. In other words... Christ assumed to himself, he took to himself all of who you are except for immorality, except for sin. You have flesh and blood. He took flesh and blood. You have a soul. The Son came and took to himself a human soul. You have a human mind. He took to himself a human mind. He did that completely. Why? Because the only thing that could satisfy justice was one who was a true human, a true man. That Christ became. But the catechism goes further because justice goes further and Scripture goes further. The mediator could not just be a mere man. Why? Because your offense is an infinite offense having been committed against God's infinite majesty. It's bad enough if you offend someone on earth, you will receive a due punishment. And that punishment on earth is in proportion to the um, dignity of the one whom you've offended. If a child offends another child, there will be some punishments, trust me. But is not as severe as if the child offends a parent. Or if a child then goes forth and offends the President of the United States, how much greater is the dignity? How much greater then is the offense? When we think about our offense against our infinite holy God, it is one that cannot be measured in a certain quantity. Our offense is infinite. And so how then, we must ask ourselves, how then can one who is merely human satisfy an infinite punishment and penalty? It cannot happen. For that mere human would have to be punished for eternity, which means then your justice is never satisfied. Because it's ongoing for eternity against a mere man. Man. The dignity of the mediator must not be be merely finite. He must also be not only human, but also divine. He himself had to be of infinite value and of infinite dignity to absorb an infinity of hell in a moment of time, to quench the fires of God, to propitiate the wrath of God, to absorb it fully and to render God then favorable toward his people. As John 10 makes clear, he came. He came for his sheep, which means Christ preexisted the incarnation. And he came as one with authority, authority to lay down his life and authority to take it up again he is that good shepherd described in the old testament christ came not only as true man but one as true god our justice our uh, god's justice which is infinite had to be satisfied praise god for a mediator true god and true man, true man who has truly and fully done it. Amen.